Thanks, worship team. I have a couple of announcements for you. Uh, one of them, if you have a box here, a mailbox here, um, we put a blue updated directory. So this would be, we kind of made it so you could put it in your picture directory uh, if you want to grab that. But if you're new here or you're, you're, you're not sure if you know lots of people, this would be one you can grab. There's extras on the counter out there. So I would encourage you to grab one of those. If your name's not in it and you want to be in it, we'd encourage you just to email us at the office uh, it's on the bulletin there, and just give us the information, and we'd love to have you in. We're going to try to put these out every probably three, four months or so to keep everybody updated in terms of names uh, on that. The second announcement is that last weekend we had an elder retreat, and I'd, I for, actually forgot to mention this last week. My brain was a little bit dead last week, but uh, last Friday, Friday and, and uh, Saturday, we got away and spent some time just wrestling with the topic, what does it mean to create a pathway of discipleship here at the church? And uh, we were working on that, and, and some of the things that we kind of, some conclusions and such, I'm going to actually share that uh, two weeks from today uh, on a Sunday morning. So I would encourage you, to, if you want to be a part of that, to listen, but I want to weave it into the sermon, kind of where we're headed this fall and some of the directional things where we want to go. And I'm having problems with this thing, so. But we want to, I want to begin by just praying and uh, giving God this rest of the hour. Father, I, I thank you for the even able to sing and to worship and sing and to give you praise and glory. And Lord, we want this place, want this body of believers to be about you, to be worshipers of you, to be a light into the community. And so Lord, we just ask that you would work and use today to change us. And, and we give it to you and may you honor it. These things we pray in your name. Amen. We've been working through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, it is, and you discover when you begin to kind of dig into this book, it's such a great picture of a church that, frankly, is surviving and not only surviving, thriving in the midst of a culture that's antagonistic to the gospel. And, and I, that's where I think it applies so much to us, is that when you think of our culture and the antagonism, the growing antagonism, and, and almost the, the irrelevancy of the church, that's going to become, I, I believe, more and more in, in the future in, in that sense. But this book gives, in, in one sense, this dynamic picture that applies to us so directly as we figure out and look at Paul's ministry to this church and we see the response of this church to Paul. Uh, I was reading uh, last week here some on the internet on some of the stuff that's going on even in politics and, and if you know the IRS scandal of kind of what's taking place and one of the leaders of those departments over the nonprofit group I uh, discovered some research that, that this person is very antagonistic to the gospel and has persecuted churches and prosecuted some things trying to, to really be anti-Christian in one sense. But that's just the reality of where we're living. And, and I, I think we'll see even in the text today that uh, more and more it's going to move, move down that path. But let's by, begin by reading a few verses this morning. First uh, Thessalonians, and it says second there, it is first. I just missed that. But let's begin by verses that we did not get to last week, starting at verse 17. 
But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Now let me begin by just giving you the first point of this morning and for your outline. I said it this way. Healthy churches that will flourish in a post-Christian world must respond to God's invitation to love each other within the church. This is about an environment of creating a relational environment of deep love toward each other. And we see this modeled by Paul over and over again, and this church responds. And it's one of the reasons why they thrived in a culture of antagonism. But I also have to stop and recognize that there's a prerequisite to that. And it's this, that we must first respond to God's initiation of loving us first and where we begin that dynamic love relationship with Jesus and with God and and the triune God. I think of the, we used the Psalm 34 last week. It said this, taste and see that he's good. See, we are called to press into God, to pursue, we're invited to pursue a relationship with him. And when that takes place, when that takes root within our souls, loving people and discipleship is not a burden. It's not a duty. It's just a response to the love of God. And the purpose then becomes helping others love God, experience God, delight in God. And that's the beginning point, and I think there's always... That focus, we, we think it's just trying harder. No, it starts with us in our relationship with God. I, I even think of there where Paul's relationship with God was started, the road to Damascus. This confrontation of Paul, why do you persecute me? What was Jesus doing? He was inviting him into a relationship where the goal of Paul's life was to present the gospel to people, to love people like God had, he discovered how much God, that God had loved him. And his life became centered on helping other people know God. And, and this propels us, frankly, it should propel us. Matthew 28, that great commission to go and make disciples, that we would also do that as well. But, but for a sub-point this morning, And where this pushes us a bit in terms of loving each other. Letter A, I said it like this. God invites us to be active, to be active in caring for God's family, for each other. See, Paul loved these people. If you remember in chapter 2, he started loving them as unbelievers. But it didn't end there. They came to Christ. They responded to the gospel. And it wasn't like Paul was going, you know what, they're saved, and I'm going to move. I started a church, and let's get on to the next church. No, that wasn't Paul at all. He cared for people. Matter of fact, look at verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, very strong word, brothers for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. 
See, Paul's love did not stop, even at a distance with these people. That word torn away is literally, it's the word orphaned. It's the idea that Paul is like a child is being ripped away from the family. And he's going, oh, I miss my family. I was orphaned from them. But do you catch, though, the strength of his desire to love these people? I so long to be with you. And caring, he cared for these people. But he also used that word brothers. You know, he could have viewed himself as more uppity up or whatever, but he doesn't. He goes, this is my family. These people are my family. And I want to see them face to face. Now let me ask you maybe just an application question here. Is there anybody in your life, if you take your spouse and your family out of that equation, is there anybody in your life that you love like that? Where you long to be with them? Where you want to know how they're doing spiritually? When there's a distance in between you, do you think of those people and go, I wonder how they're doing. Oh, I wish I could be with them. Is there anybody in your life like that? See, that's one of the challenges, I think, that Paul in this scripture is really pushing us. Are we engaging where there are people in our lives like that with us? But look at the strength of this, verse 18. It's because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Now, let me maybe rephrase from the first question. What do you think it feels like to have a friend like that? Where they care for you so much that they want to encourage you. They want to see how you're doing spiritually. Now, the the temptation is, is to kind of pull back and we go, oh, no one loves me. But really, that's not the point of the text. The text is, what is God inviting you to? What does God want from us? He's inviting us to care for other people with that same kind of intensity. He's calling us to look around and just say, who can I present complete in Christ? Who is God bringing into my life where I can make a difference? See, he's inviting us to humble ourselves. Philippians 2, to look out for the interests of others. And the results, but but here's the thing on this text, there's a result in caring for people like that. Look at verse 19 and 20. Extraordinary verses. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you For you are our glory and joy. Do you catch what he's saying there? Now, now at first blush, you kind of look at that and go, huh, what's going on? But let me dig just a little bit deeper here. I got to throw this in because it gives, it speaks to Paul's motive. That phrase, at his coming, okay? Understand that there there is a, a connection to a very, important issue. 
That word parousia is like this. It's like a king coming to a country. And in one sense, you fear a king and you revere a king. There's a strength to that word. And that word then is connected to what is this king going to do? And the word that it's connected to is judgment. That second coming, there's a connection in this text to the issue of judgment. Well, let me show you, as I discovered it this week, what one, one author writes. He says, Jesus' activity as judge is in view when Paul and the other New Testament writers apply parousia to Christ's final coming. Thus, Paul describes Christ's revelation from heaven to judge and to vindicate believers before the eyes of their oppressors. The point is that both unbelievers outside the church and professing believers within the church will go through the final judgment in which Jesus will pronounce people either guilty or innocent, the former to undergo punishment and the latter to receive the reward of salvation. So when he looks at these people, his care is not only for the present. He's looking out to eternity and he says, I want to make sure that they're ready for the judgment. It's more than just the now. It's for the future. And there's a sense we see in chapter 2, we won't go there yet, but there's a sense where there's a fear on his part of going, are they going to be ready? And that was part of his care, this concern for them. See, his love, though, for these people was so deep. And when he looked at this people, he could actually then come to those words and say this, they're my glory and they're my joy. Now, at first blush, when you think of, you hear that and you go, okay, is Paul arrogant here? People are my hope, my crown, my glory, my joy. And you go, okay, what does this mean? Well, let me give you a couple illustrations here. Anybody, any gardeners here? Any people that like actually to plant and grow a garden? I can't do that very well. Um, but understand, when you, when you begin to plant, when the frost comes out here in July, when, when you throw the seeds in the ground, and they begin to grow, and at the end of the summer, all of a sudden you gather those baskets of fruit, the tomatoes, the squash, whatever you're growing. And you sit them there and you go, don't you feel a little satisfied? The fruit of your labor, the work, the, the weeding, all of the things you, you put into that garden, you look at that and you go, yeah, you're a bit satisfied. See, that's how Paul is looking in one sense at these people. But it's why they, he, he calls them their joy. And it's glory. But hear this. God is inviting us to participate in the faith development of other people just like this. Cause the growth. The answer is no. But it's like a gardener. You, you weed, you plant, you water, you put fertilizer on. The great part of it, there's that reward. Like gardening, there's a reward at the end of it where you can look at people and say, they're my glory and my joy. 
But let, let me throw out one more illustration that I think even pushes it a little farther. I, I don't know if any of you ever coach or you've been a part of a team somewhere, but think of it yourself as a coach. And, and you gather a bunch of people together, like baseball, they're playing this summer, obviously, and, and you start gathering th- people together and you begin working with them. You're working on grounders, you're working on double plays, you're working on hitting, on throwing, how to cut, get the cutoff, man, all of those things. You're, you're working at preparing this team. And, and you come to that day where you begin to play the ball games. And, and you put the team on the field and, and they begin to respond they begin to do it. They're playing the game and they're doing it well. And as a coach, when you sit there and you look at your team, if you're in the dugout at the time, you look at that team and you go, they got it. They got it. They're getting it. If it's a good coach, he's not going to necessarily take credit for that. But this is what will happen those players, that team, will become his glory, their glory, the coach's glory, and the joy with it. And in essence, Paul is a coach. He's coaching this church, he's, and they're preparing them. He's been working with them, and even from a distance, he's sending Timothy to, to work with them and figure out what, how, what they need. And they're doing well. There's persecution out there, and he's going, yeah, there's more faith coming, and there's more hope coming, there's more love coming. And that's what's taking place here. Paul's a coach. He's cheering his team on. And folks, here's the reality. For many of us, he is inviting us to be that kind of a coach. He's getting us to get into the game of discipleship. To work with other people. To invest their lives in other people so that they would learn to love God. But you know what the dilemma is within the church? Is that many people only buy a ticket to the game. The $5 ticket. They go the one up in the bleachers, up in the stands. And they never get down on the field. And they never learn, figure out, oh, God's calling me to be a coach and to play the game. See, if you know Christ, he's inviting you to get out of the stands and to go down into the field and, and to learn the game. And for some of you, you need to turn around and actually be coaching other people, spiritually speaking. It, it's what it means to become fishers of men. It's what it means to obey that great commission. But I would remind you of this as well. This isn't just about checking off a list and doing it. Oh, you know what? I served in the nursery this last week. Check. I I served at the youth group for an hour last week. Check. That's not it. There's an investment in the lives of people. See, that's what's doing, that's the heart of discipleship that he's been teaching this church and modeling to this church. And church, when Paul stands back, he says, they're my joy, they're my glory. But people don't realize the benefit of jumping into faith like that. 
Let me put a quote on the screen from G.K. Beale. It says this, Christians who strive to help others grow and endure in faith will gain confidence about their own faith now and even to the future at Christ's coming. So, you know what? Some of you women have been a part of a mentoring ministry. Coming alongside of some people, you get to watch up close as God works in another person's life. You get that on-the-field experience to see somebody moving spiritually. But the times get out of the nosebleed seats. And this Thessalonica church did that. They were loving each other profoundly, and it was showing they were growing in spite of persecution. And Paul, even at a distance, is still encouraging them, still loves them. Turn to chapter 3. I'm going to hit a few more verses here. Let me read those first four, five verses here. Look at how it goes here. Therefore... When we could bear it no longer, I wanted to be with you, but when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we were destined for this. When we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction." Just as it has come to pass, and just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent uh, to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Now, jumping a little bit deeper here into this relationship, there's another piece, I think, that fits with loving each other. And, and letter B, it's this, real love protects when we love, we protect others. Now, now, think of this, how the protection is going on here. Paul's going, I don't know how you're really doing. It's from a distance even. So I'm going to send my best friend and one who's very capable, and I'm going to send him over to you to exhort you in your faith. Why? Because he was worried what? Because he was wondering if they had given in to the temptations of Satan and they were beginning to shrink back in their faith. It implies here that there's afflictions, the potential for afflictions to go on. And that's going to be that's true for us. That churches can shrink back. But think of their church. The Roman government was against them. The other Jews, the other quote-unquote, religious people were against him. And then there's Satan keeping Paul from going back there. And then in verse 5, Paul recognized the craftiness of Satan. And he wanted him to go backwards. You see how he's protecting them by warning them, by encouraging them. But let me push it even farther here to dig down a little more. Three and four again. That no one be moved by these afflictions, the persecution, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Now, now for your notes, I got to point something out very pointedly here. It's a reality that Paul 
assumed affliction or persecution. In the present, but he was also recognizing in the future. You were destined for that. And we hear that phrase and we go, ouch, what does that mean? And I think at times, we're, as Christians, we want to kind of stick our head in the sand and go, let's just pull back and ignore everything. There's a world that's changing out here. And there's going to be a growing sense of persecution toward the church, toward those who love Jesus. Now, now I would also say this, and just heading down a little path here, there's a theology out there, and one of the names for it is the prosperity gospel. And the hard part is there's some subtle teachers that teach this, and then there's some that are very blatant. But the message is this. If you are faithful, if you not have enough faith, God will give you material blessings, and there's a second part of it, that you really won't, shouldn't have to suffer trials. Matter of fact, suffering trials is an indication that you don't have enough faith. But think of this text. We are destined for affliction. You see how this passage just speaks against that idea that somehow that we can live happy lives and there's not going to be any trouble coming in our lives. It's going to happen, folks. And that's what Paul was saying. But Paul loved them. He was protecting them by teaching about this coming persecution. Don't fear it. I have yet to see Paul demonstrate any fear of what was happening in persecution when you look through the scriptures and all, and 1 Peter the same way. He just didn't fear it. But there's good news. So Paul sends Timothy to hear about these people, and there's some great news. Look at verse 6 through 8 here. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us too we, as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, we are, are standing fast in the Lord. See, Paul had some doubts. Was this church going to shrink back, give in to Satan, give in to the pressures of the world? And they didn't. They were pressing onward. Matter of fact, let me show you how it's written. The message, Eugene Peterson writes it this way. But now that Timothy is back, bringing a terrific report on your faith and love, we feel a lot better. It's especially gratifying to know that you continue to think well of us and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you in the middle of our trouble and the hard times here. Just knowing how you're doing keeps us going. Knowing that your faith is alive keeps us alive. Paul is deeply encouraged by their faith. His investment of people brings him encouragement. As I was walking through this passage, I, you know, I had to stop personally and ask the question, how, how deep my commitment to people really is? I, you know, I, I look at Paul's faithfulness as he invested in people, and, and frankly, it challenges us and challenges me. 
And you look at the step back and you realize investing in people, caring for people, loving within the family of God, is not, it's not convenient at times. Matter of fact, it can be very messy. It's time-consuming. It's not convenient for my marriage or my family. Now, let me go down this one path and remind you of this. There's a temptation on our part when we talk about investing in people that who do we want to be our glory and our joy? And we tend to look at our biological family and go this, they will become my glory and my joy. But I got to say this, God is inviting you to more than that. More than that. Your children need to see you investing in other people. Discipleship beyond the biological family. They need to see that modeled by parents. It's the multiplication of as God multiplies his church. When we accept that invitation to love others like that, it will crash into the desires that we want and the conveniences that we want. And it means that in one sense, our life is really not our own. It belongs to Jesus. We have needs. But the need that they have the most, they may not be aware of, is Jesus. And we might be called to be that Jesus, figuratively speaking, for them. Are we willing to love on God's terms? And we justify that this and that is more important. We don't have time. There's a place, if we never go there, if we never go there, we miss out on something. If we stay in the stands, we miss out on something. Let me give you a hint of what we miss miss out on. I went to a funeral this week, and one of the traditions of, of funerals these days is that people get up and speak and share about the deceased person's life. And as I paused and thought about that, where I went was, okay, what if Paul would have had a funeral? He probably didn't, okay? But what if today, if Paul would have been here, and people would have Okay, would somebody want to get up and share about Paul? You know what that would have looked like? There would have been a lineup out of the church, a block of people standing, waiting to get up to the mic. I think it would have been stuff like this. First one gets up there and said, Paul loved God and he loved me. Then the second one could have come up and said, Paul loved God and he cared for me. And one would have stood up and Paul loved God and he spurred my spiritual growth on. Another would have said, Paul loved me and he encouraged me just when I needed it. And another one would have said, Paul loved God and he introduced my husband to Jesus said, Paul loved God, and he took time and introduced Jesus to my kids. One would have stood up and could have said this, 
I was Paul's glory and joy. And his reputation, his legacy. And maybe the last one would have got, stood up and said this, Paul loved God and he served Jesus. Paul is inviting people within the church, investing in the lives of others. And the benefit of that is that other people, there is a reward to that of other people. There's a joy of giving your life when you see God working, when you do the planting, when you do the watering. And church does that over and over and over again. When they respond to that invitation to love, the church becomes attractive and the church will prosper in a world even when people are antagonistic to it. They see the real love of God in people's hearts. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father, you're inviting us to a different way of life where we learn to love you with our hearts and our souls and our minds. And Lord, as we respond to your love, you are inviting us to turn and love other people. Uh, We love those who don't know you. But even there, there's a second part that we, we love those that are within the body, within the family of God. Day coming where and into eternity where he looks and as a time of judgment, he looks, you're my child. Thank you for investing in people. So Father, would you give us the desire to turn and look and say, where can I serve you? Where can I love people? We respond to your love by loving others. And we ask these things now in your name. Amen. If you don't know somebody around you, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, Have a great weekend. If you're doing picnics or whatever this weekend, have a great weekend and holiday.